Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. Hello and welcome to another episode of H2 Orthopedics. This is Mike, your host. And today's topic is shoulder instability or dislocation of the shoulder, the glenohumeral joint. Uh, this is a, this is an email that I got from uh, Kyle. Kyle uh, is an 18-year-old uh, high school senior who um, is about to graduate and he has had a shoulder dislocation, and he has lots of questions about what really happened, what does it mean, and does he need to, to follow up with surgery, or can he treat this with therapy and rest? Um, so we're going to talk about shoulder dislocations with uh, with Kyle as our kind of topic today. Thanks for your sending that in through our email at topics at h2orthopedics.com. That's how Kyle got a hold of me, and that's how you can get a hold of me with uh, any questions or topics that you want me to talk about. So this is a pretty common injury. Unfortunately, this is a common injury in young, athletic, primarily males. It can happen in females, but uh, if we look at the literature, those who are 16 to 20, and in my mind, I expand that to 15 to 25-year-olds, uh, just to make the math easy. I have a 10-year window there. Uh, if you haven't figured it out, I like to make things simple. Um, but a, a, you know, a younger athletic or aggressive doesn't need to be athlete. It can be a construction worker, or, but someone who's using their upper extremity, their arm in an aggressive nature has a risk for a dislocation. And what we're talking about here is the ball and socket part of the shoulder dislocating or becoming uh, separate from where it's supposed to be. So uh, if you've listened to any of my other shoulder talks, we kind of go through the normal anatomy, the injured anatomy, uh, the workup, and then the treatment options. So to get to understand normal anatomy of the shoulder, the glenohumeral joint. I, I, I have you take your left hand, put your fingers towards the sky and kind of cup that. So now you're looking at your thumb and kind of a cup uh, position of that left hand. And then take your right hand and make a fist out of it and put it right in the center of your left hand. So right in the center of that cup and kind of sits in there. So that's going to be our glenohumeral joint. That's our shoulder joint where the glenoid is the socket and the humeral head is our, our right fist uh, or the ball part of that joint. So that's the normal anatomy. That's what it should look like. Again, if we turn our hands, so now we're looking straight at the knuckles of the right hand, so we just rotate a little bit. Um, if we look at the glenoid, so our left hand, from about where the tip of our thumb is over the top until about three o'clock, so almost directly across, that's the position where the rotator cuff is going to come off of. So it's going to be coming off the shoulder blade back. You know, the glenoid is part of the shoulder blade. So uh, the muscles attached on the far side of the shoulder blade are going to come off around the glenoid, but in that general area over the top from, from say, 9 o'clock over the top to 3 o'clock. That's the rotator cuff. And they're going to attach to the humeral head or the ball side. Again, if you go back and listen to the rotator cuff injury, you'll learn about the tuberosities or these bumps on the bone where the four rotator cuff tendons attach. And then if we go from three o'clock down underneath back around to nine o'clock where the tip of our thumb is, that's going to be our capsule. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The capsule is, is one of the things that can be injured with a shoulder dislocation. Um, around your, so if you're looking at your, at your left hand and your right hand's kind of stuck in there, move your right hand away. Now you're looking straight on at your palm. 
all the way around. So the periphery, the tips of your fingers, and then down around kind of the base of your thumb and back to your thumb itself. Uh, all around there is a kind of a gaskety structure called the labrum. So it's a rubbery gasket structure. When I talk to patients and try to describe this to them in the office, I always say, you know, in the spring when we're going to hook up our, our hoses to water the garden, water the lawn, uh, we should probably look in there, look at the end of the hose, make sure that rubber gasket that's in there, that little red gasket uh, is still, you know, still you know, healthy. Is it still worthy of, you know, hooking up to your faucet? If not, it's going to leak all summer. So you want a nice dry, or you don't want it to be all dried and cracked. You want a nice, you know, flexible rubber gasket. That's kind of what the labrum's like. It's a gaskety structure that's on the, on that glenoid side of the joint. It goes all the way around 360 degrees and it helps give stability to the joint. And it helps kind of keep that ball centered in the socket a little bit. It's kind of a bumper, if you will, to kind of keep that ball you know, stuck inside that socket. Way up on top, if we're looking at our hand here, about one o'clock, so this is a right shoulder in this example, about one o'clock, the long head of the biceps attaches to that that labrum, and then eventually they both attach to the bony socket deep below. And we'll we talk about uh, long head biceps injuries in, in different talks as well, but that's, that's part of this whole thing. So you can imagine that that biceps comes off there as well. So anyway, we have that socket, we have the labrum that goes around there. And then from three o'clock underneath to nine o'clock is this ligament sac or this capsule that kind of blends in and attaches to the labrum. And then together they attach to that bony socket. So they kind of blend together to make a nice, nice a joint, a sealed joint for that ball to stay centered on the socket. The rotator cuff's job is to center it there while the big muscles move it. But that capsule kind of gives a, you know, a floor to that, to that joint, if you will. We don't need to get into more detail than that on this talk. Uh, there's some thickening, there's some ligaments inside there that give you more support uh, all throughout that kind of front and inferior part or, or armpit side of the, of the joint. Uh, for this talk, we don't need to get into details on that. If you, if you have more interest, we can talk later. We can give more detail uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. But um, basically what happens is the ball slips off of that socket. So usually it's fairly predictable position. Our shoulders are not very stable, bone-to-bone -bone are not very stable. So it's termed a ball and socket joint, just like our hip. But the socket of our hip is much deeper than the socket of our shoulder. Our shoulder is almost flat on the socket side and the ball kind of sits on it. So again, the analogy I'll talk to with patients are if I had a bowling ball and I set it on the table, um, you know, on a flat table, it's likely going to roll off. There's going to be some, you know, elevation change or, or it's not going to be level. That table is going to be level. So it'll roll a little bit. But if I, if I took a, like a coffee saucer or a small plate and I put it on the table and I set the ball inside of that, it'll stay there. Right. And that's kind of how the ball and socket, you know, works in the shoulder. Unfortunately, we have to mount that plate on the wall and now get that bowling ball to stay up there. It's not going to happen, right? It's going to fall directly off. That's kind of the way the stability you know, structure of the glenohumeral joint is. It's not a stable joint. So it relies on that rotator cuff over the top and the capsule underneath to give it stability. Then that labrum, that gasket helps. So when you dislocate your shoulder, or we can call it a subluxation where it kind of comes out and jumps back in, but we'll just talk about dislocations because that's what Kyle's dealing with. When we dislocate our shoulder, it's usually going to come out the front, so towards the three o'clock position, and then inferior, so between three and six o'clock. So again, left hand's looking at us, you know, kind of palm facing us. We put our right hand directly in the center of that. The knuckles are going to be right about that three o'clock position. Uh, you know, as the hand joins the wrist, is about six o'clock position. That's where it's going to come out towards the front and down. 
that's the most vulnerable position for it or the least stable position for the shoulder. And that's typically where it dislocates. When it does, when that ball rubs off or comes out of the socket, it rubs against the glenoid, the socket side, and then it can, and usually does injure the labrum. That rim of cartilage gets pushed off the front or torn and it slips behind that face of the glenoid. The face of the socket is kind of out on a little, like a, almost like a golf tee looking at you. It slides off the edge and then that capsule is stretched out. So if you're young, again, the group 16 to 20, or in my mind, 15 to 25 year old, and you dislocate, you're going to push that, that labrum off the uh, glenoid and you're going to stretch out your capsule and hopefully your rotator cuff up top, it has to go as well. It's going to be flexible enough and stretch and not tear. If you're older and you do this, you're likely going to have a rotator cuff tear. And again, we'll talk, we talk about that in another episode, but so imagine that ball slipping off the front of the socket, it pushes the labrum off and it stretches out that capsule. And then sometimes it jumps back in on its own. Sometimes you have to go to the emergency room or have your athletic trainer or uh, whoever kind of get it back in there. It'll reduce the dislocation, we call it, put the ball back in the socket. But unfortunately, that labral injury and that capsular injury don't necessarily heal very well in that young population. They don't tighten up again. In the older population, they probably will. In the younger population, they don't. The other bony things that can happen when you dislocate your shoulder, bony and cartilaginous things that can happen is as that ball slides forward, when it slips off the front of the socket, it can not only push that labrum off, but can chip a piece of bone. Or if it's recurrent, meaning that you dislocate time and time again, you can wear off that front socket. So the bone actually starts to wear away or it can be broken off in in just one episode. So you have a glenoid defect, a bony defect on the socket side of your joint. And then when the, the ball slips forward, the backside of the ball, kind of the top backside of the ball part of the shoulder bangs into the front of the socket and can create a little little crease or a little divot in the ball itself. Uh, we call that a hill sax lesion. And on the other side, we call it a bank art lesion, either a bony bank art where the bone is actually involved or a soft tissue bank art where it's just the labrum and the capsule. Uh, but you can have injury to the bone on both sides of the joint, which can lead to further instability. So we need to work that up and really look at that. Uh, but that's the the normal anatomy and then the injured anatomy. So the normal anatomy Ball sits in the center of the socket. That labrum goes around, you know, all 365, or 365, it's more than complete, 360 degrees. Um, And then that capsule from three to nine o'clock underneath and the cuff from nine to three o'clock over the top, give it stability. When you dislocate, you slip the ball typically forward. You can have posterior dislocations and multidirectional dislocations or instability, but we'll just talk about this kind of traumatic common dislocation. It goes out in the front and below, so between three and six o'clock. And it pushes that labrum off, stretches out the capsule, and you can have a bony injury to the glenoid or the socket side, and you can have a dent or a defect on the humeral side or the ball side called a hill sacs defect. Those are all concerning issues, especially in that young population who is typically, you know, athletic, aggressive, you know, picture a young, you know, athletic male, they're, they're typically want to continue to that lifestyle. So if this isn't treated appropriately, this can become a recurrent issue and lead to further problems down the line. So like I said, or to touch on earlier, the younger population, that rotator cuff up top usually is flexible enough. It'll stretch or be, it'll have a strain to it, but typically recovers well. Uh, there's some nerves around the shoulder that often will get stretched. Uh, if the shoulder's out for just a short period of time, you know, 
less than an hour, let's say, uh, hopefully much less than an hour, but uh, a relatively short period of time, the nerves will be stretched and you may have some numbness or tingling down into your hand and fingers. Uh, but as you put that shoulder back into place, you reduce that, that ball back onto the socket or, you know, normalize that joint the nerve uh, typically will calm down. Uh, it's possible if that shoulder is, is out for a long period of time. We had a patient who was hunting in the backcountry up here in Colorado and uh, dislocated his shoulder and couldn't get out for like three to six hours. It was a, it was a long haul. Uh, he was by himself. He had to get out and then found his campmates and they had to drive him. Anyway, his shoulder was dislocated. I think it was at least three hours and he had numbness and tingling that entire time. It took months for that nerve to come back. It, fi it finally did. But uh, the longer the stretch on the nerve, the longer the recovery. So you can have, uh, you know, tendon issues and nerve issues and uh, other things along with the dislocation. Uh, but we'll talk about primarily that labrum, the capsule, and then the bony defects that we talked about with the, uh, on the glenoid side being a bony bank heart. And on the humeral head side, the ball side being a hill sacs defect. So we discussed the the anatomy, the normal anatomy, the injured anatomy, and now we'll we'll talk about the workup or you know how we would evaluate this in the office and what you can expect if you see your athletic trainer, your doctor, your PA nurse practitioner, whoever it may be. So the, the, your story is is really it. I mean, most of the time, patients will come in and say, "I dislocated my shoulder," or "My shoulder slipped in and out." That's called a subluxation, where it doesn't truly stay dislocated, or when it truly is dislocated. Uh, First-time dislocators often need to go see someone. They need to go to the emergency room, or urgent care, or you know, see someone to help put that shoulder back in. Unfortunately, when it dislocates one time, it's really kind of set up to dislocate again and again and again. And each subsequent dislocation, two things happen. One, you need less energy for it to dislocate. And if you think about that labrum being torn, the capsule being stretched, maybe some bone loss on both the glenoid and that little divot in the humeral head, which kind of gets caught and pushes you out. All those things lead to the likelihood that you'll dislocate again. Uh, the plus side, if there is one for that, is that usually you can get that, that shoulder you know, reduced or back into place on your own or with a little help. You don't necessarily always need to go back to the emergency room. Not a good thing. It just means that it's easier to dislocate the next time. So anyway, so the dislocation um, can happen. Your story is really key on that. So so we'll ask you questions. Um, we would get an x-ray. So um, we would do an x-ray relatively early on. They should get an x-ray in the emergency room or where you've gone to make sure the shoulder is back in place. And there are three views. So there's you know two views kind of front to back. And then we need to get what we call an axillary view which is basically looking top to bottom. So we kind of shoot from your armpit side uh, to the top side of your shoulder to see where does that ball sit front to back. And with that view, we can see a lot of the, the defect that can happen on that humeral head, what we term a hill sacs lesion. And sometimes we can see that glenoid uh, piece that was broken off. So that axillary view is missed a lot in the emergency room or urgent care or primary care office, uh, but is really super important for us to evaluate, you know, bony structure of the shoulder and somewhat predict the likelihood of this thing coming out again. And, um, you know, all that kind of factors into treatment options. So of course we're going to get the x-ray first, uh, see where things are, make sure your shoulder's not dislocated still or sitting off. And then we'll go through an examination. Uh, it's very much like any other shoulder examination. We're going to, you know, push and prod and see if we have areas of discomfort or pain. Usually once it's back in, depending on the timeline between when it happened and when we see you, you might actually feel pretty good. It will be sore and achy. 
But the motion, we'll have you take your arms through motion, going forward, coming out, rotating with your hand away from your belly, hand towards your belly, and then we'll test your strength for the rotator cuff and other musculature and the and the function of the nerves. But usually, you know, below the shoulder level, you feel pretty comfortable, pretty good if you're, say, 10 days or a couple weeks into this. Um, hopefully, if you're young and flexible, your strength is good. If you're old and un- inflexible, uh, say 45, 50 or older, you probably tore your rotator cuff and then you'll have weakness. Your shoulder will actually not necessarily be unstable, but you'll have a weakness component, which means you probably tore your cuff. Again, moral of the story, don't list, dislocate your shoulder no matter what age you are, but uh, the end result will be different depending on age groups and kind of tissue quality uh, and flexibility uh, status. So we'll take you through your range of motion. We'll take you through strengthening. Um, there's some things we expect. When we go through motion, when you bring your elbow away from your body, so going like you're flapping a wing, um, when you get out there, about level is what we expect. If your fist is pointing straight forward, so your forearm is parallel to the floor, you should feel pretty stable. If you rotate the arm back, like you're going into the touchdown, you know, American football touchdown position, uh, that's where you're most vulnerable because that's where that ball would want to slip forward and down, again, the same position that you dislocated in, and where that those lesions, those bone defects start to engage or meet up with one another and potentially can give you that symptom of instability. We call it an apprehension sign uh, for our exam, but that's truly what it is. You're apprehensive. You don't want to go there. So oftentimes the physician will have you lay down and scoot towards the edge of the table and take you back into that same position. And they may put their arm underneath yours and kind of have a lever pushing the ball forward. And you likely will say, no, don't do that. Again, apprehension sign or apprehensive to that position. And then if we change positions and push back on your arm, kind of push the ball towards the back of your shoulder, you should feel much more stable and much more confident. That's called a relocation test. And uh, that those are both really valuable tests. In a seated position, they may kind of push the ball into the center of the socket and then try to translate it or move it forward and back and kind of riding that, again, that socket isn't very deep, but there's kind of a, you know, like a bowl, a picture of a skateboard park where there's a bowl where people are going, you know, in and out of the bowl. We push that ball into the center of the socket and then translate or push it forward and push it back and then pull it down. And we can kind of judge the level of instability, usually compared to the contralateral or the other side of the of the body. So you're, if you dislocate your right side, we're going to look at your left side for a baseline and compare to the right. Uh, so that's the exam. We need an MRI. We need a CT scan, probably an either or. If we think there's a big bony defect, a CT scan is really critical for us to kind of judge how much bone is lost and do we need to do something about that? And that's a much more detailed discussion that we need to get into here, but uh, we'll talk about briefly in treatment options. Uh, But they may ask you to get a CT scan. And then if we're worried about the rotator cuff, or if we want to get more information about the general status of the labrum, the capsule, the cuff, everything, you know, soft tissue, but also bony, an MRI is helpful as well. So those are the next steps that may take place and probably will take place. Uh, The CT is a little bit variable depending on was this a first-time dislocation? Do you have bony defects that are, or concerns on the x-rays? And those kind of things. All right. Now we've made it to treatment options. And this is where it gets a little bit uh, confusing at times, but um, really I'll try to walk you through and kind of describe different scenarios. So the first-time dislocator is going to be treated differently than a chronic dislocator uh, in general. All these statements are in general. And, and obviously, uh, if you've dislocated your shoulder, you need to have an examination uh, and a full workup. And then you listen to the options and uh, ask questions about why 
you would fall into one category or another. And there's usually a good explanation, something that was seen on x-ray, something that we heard or looked at you as far as your demographics. If you're an aggressive athlete versus an older, you know, relatively sedentary person, that the uh, options are going to be different for each of you. Um, so anyway, we, we talk about uh, conservative care. Can we treat the dislocation of a shoulder conservatively? Absolutely, positively, yes, in certain populations. And I'll say in most populations. But that those who are younger, let's say that 16 to 20-year-old range, if you treat this conservatively, meaning no surgery, there is a relatively high risk, nearly 50% of recurrent dislocations, especially in the more aggressive person. So if you're an athlete, if you are a football player, a hockey player, or a more aggressive worker, uh, such as a, you know, a construction type of a, of a job uh, where you're working overhead and trying to lift, push, or pull things in that position, your risk for dislocation is much higher when you're in that younger age, that say 16 to 20 year old population. And with that increased risk, there is certainly a, a newer thought out there that we would offer a surgical stabilization early on, even for the first time dislocator. Uh, if you don't necessarily fit that category, if you want to choose a non-operative option, physical therapy is definitely an option and a good option where they would you know, work with you to decrease your swelling, decrease your pain, improve your range of motion, easing into that vulnerable spot where you're, where you're, you know, where you're apprehensive on exam, strengthen the rotator cuff, strengthen the muscles around the shoulder and encourage you to avoid that position, such as like a throwing or a, when your arms cocked and about to throw a ball, that elbow away from the body. And then your hand rotating towards the backside, that's your vulnerable position, what we call abduction, external rotation. That's where you don't want to go. And they're going to encourage you not to go there for several months, even while that capsule the, and the tissues in the front of the shoulder have a chance to heal. Now, if you're in that, say, older population, say you're 35, 40, 50, somewhere in there, and you're maybe more sedentary, you have an office job, um, you don't participate in high-risk sports or, you know, get your arm in that, that vulnerable position, then the conservative management is reasonable. Again, it goes back to every individual workup and evaluation. If you have a bunch of bone loss, if there's suspicion that you're going to, you know, dislocate again, if you've chipped off a big big hunk of bone off the front of the glenoid or the socket, then that would change the story. But in general, these are general comments. If you're younger, more aggressive, even with first-time dislocations, you may talk to someone and they're going to encourage a surgery to fix this thing so it doesn't come out again and again. Because each time it does, you have more injury to the bony structures, more injury to the soft tissue structures, and more likely episodes of future dislocations. If you're older, more conservative options. So uh, physical therapy to work on strengthening range of motion and stability of the shoulder joint is, is in your best interest. Again, the rotator cuff might tear if you're an older, 50 or older, and that would lead to a, a different discussion altogether. You can jump over to the rotator cuff episode uh, to learn more about that. But surgical intervention is pretty common with shoulder dislocations because that population of risk. Uh, you're, you're a younger, athletic, more aggressive person. Uh, the risk for this thing dislocating is higher uh, than in the sedentary patient. So again, if you fall into the category where the first time dislocation, they say, no, treat this conservatively, go see the physical therapist, but it comes out again, then your odds for surgical recommendations go up significantly. And if we get to that point, then there's a few things we should talk about as far as what can we do, what should we do in the operating room itself. So we talked about the normal anatomy and the injured anatomy. If you think back to the injured anatomy between three and six o'clock towards the front and down the inferior, anterior inferior area, we call it, that's where the ball slides out of the socket. 
That's where the labrum's injured and that's where the capsule is stretched and potentially the bone on the glenoid or the socket side is worn or chipped or broken away and a divot on the back side of the head or the ball where it banged into the front of the socket called a hill sax. So all these things come together and need to be considered when we're talking about what do we do in the operating room. The most basic, simple way to fix a, a shoulder that's dislocating is to tighten up things that have been stretched or torn. So an arthroscopic procedure typically these days used to be done open, still is done open on certain you know, instances, but typically arthroscopic through a bunch of little poke holes, five, six, seven, depending on the angles, uh, we can get this job done. So we go in around the socket. So put your hand back up, put your right, excuse me, your left hand back up. Let's say from that three o'clock. So where your pinky finger meets the rest of your hand, that's about three o'clock downwards to where, you know, the center of your wrist, that three to six area, we would would create a little hole, a little pilot hole for an anchor, varying types of anchors. Uh, but we put an anchor in the bone and then coming out of the anchor are two stitches. We take one stitch to the, to the, let's say the backside of the torn labrum and one to the front side of that torn labrum. So we're going around that, that gaskety rubbery labrum, and then maybe grabbing some of that capsule at the same time. And we're pulling it all together. And then we tie a knot, push the knot down, and that's created a, a new bumper, a new labrum. So the analogy I use trying to describe what this really looks like and, and how we do it is if your pants are too long, you have a, you know, buy a suit and the pants are too long, you may take them to the tailor and they will hem your pants. So basically they pull up, they fold that tissue or that, uh, that material under, and then they sew it. So we're kind of hemming that stretched out capsule and we're going to grab that labrum and pull it back up onto the face or the, the joint side of that socket. And again, from three down to six, we can put in you know, multiple anchors depending on how much injury or how much damage there is to those soft tissues. So that's a, that's a simple procedure. It's the most you know, basic procedure for shoulder dislocation. It's called a bank art procedure. If there's bony issues, if there's a big chunk of bone missing on the glenoid or the socket side, sometimes we can just grab onto that with a suture or if it's big enough, a couple screws. Now we have to open up and make it non-arthroscopic or at least partially open and put a screw through there. Or sometimes it's, you know, in that middle zone where we can actually suture it back in a position where it's going to heal back and give you stability. But then same idea with the other soft tissues, putting anchors in and grabbing the labrum, grabbing the capsule and tightening things up again. If there's a big defect in the ball side, that hill sacks defect. Sometimes, again, these are all sometimes because every individual is different. We will do a procedure called a remplissage. It's a French surgeon named after a French surgeon. I uh, don't need to remember the name, but basically we put a couple anchors in the, in the bottom of that defect. So again, same type of anchors, two stitches coming out of the bone as the end result. We take those stitches up through the rotator cuff, which sits over the top of the ball and tie a knot on the top side of the cuff. And really in effect, we're pushing the cuff into that defect. We're filling the defect with rotator cuff tendon. That's still attached. It's still, you know, we don't detach it. We just, you know, grab it kind of in the, in the, you know, muscular part there just off the tendon and pull it down into that defect. So now that defect can't get stuck over the front of that, that socket. It can't engage, we call it. So that's called a rim plissage procedure, which is a pretty common procedure to, to help address a bigger or a moderate sized hill fat, hill sacks defect in that ball side of the joint. So bank art procedure for the labrum and that capsule is stretched out with or without rim plissage, which is the tendon procedure kind of filling in the void on the ball side. 
Those are fairly common first approaches or first attempts. We can bone graft different uh, defects on the humeral head. We can bone graft the front of the shoulder as well. So there is a procedure called a latterge, again, another French name, where we take the coracoid process, which is a little bony protrusion off the front side of your shoulder blade, your scapula. It has a tendinous attachment, uh, a couple tendons attached up there. We have to release one, the pectoralis minor, but we leave the others attached and we cut that piece of bone. And I'm just gonna say it's probably a centimeter and a half, two centimeters. We, we cut that off and we just shift position. We put it right in the front of the socket, again, between three and six o'clock where that bony defect is. Or sometimes if you dislocated multiple times, but don't have a ton of bony defect, we still do this because it gives, it builds up the front of that socket with a bone structure rather than just soft tissue structures. And if we leave that tendon attached to it, as we bring it down, that tendon now is kind of in the ball, it's going to be in the armpit side of the shoulder and gives some support for the ball going down. Again, the most vulnerable position for it to dislocate. Again, that's called a ladder J uh, procedure. So there's lots of options. We can use other bone grafts. We can take it from your pelvis. We can take a cadaver fibula, which is the ankle bone, and, and put that in that defect. There's, there's multiple options, and really your surgeon's going to talk and discuss with you what's best for you and what they're most comfortable with. Uh, but those are the options and the procedures we have for a shoulder dislocation or instability. The more aggressive options, the latrage, the you know, bone grafting, and even sometimes that remplissage is for those who have either recurrent dislocations or you expect them to be in that category. They're high risk. So uh, in the past, we've treated a lot of uh, NHL players. So they are high risk for shoulder dislocation. Um, you know, think about hockey as being a shoulder issue, uh, shoulder sport issue often, but uh, if, you, if you're around it long enough, you understand why. But their dislocation rate post first time dislocation or, or post first time surgery is pretty high. So oftentimes we'll jump to even that ladder J procedure first for them to give them a bony structural, you know, stable type of a joint, which isn't bulletproof, but it's much, much better than uh, some of those soft tissues repair as far as preventing recurrent instability. So that's the, that's the shoulder, that's the shoulder dislocation talk. So Kyle, um, he, um, you know, again, he sent that message to me. I hope it makes sense, uh, what happened to you and what the options are. And if you, you know, take these 30 minutes or so, we've talked about this, uh, go into the doctor's office with that knowledge. You can have a, you know, a high level discussion with them regarding who you are, what you want to do in the future. Uh, you can have a better understanding of the x-rays and the CT and maybe the MRI. And then once they start talking about treatment options and, and have that discussion, you understand what the procedure is. The rehabilitation really varies from, from surgeon to surgeon and from surgery to surgery, patient to patient. Uh, so I won't get too much into that. They're likely going to put you in a sling uh, for four, maybe six weeks to let things kind of tighten up and heal. Some docs will do nothing for the first, say, four weeks. Others will do some basic range of motion. Uh, depends on you know, what they did and the stability of the joint. Again, every time you do a surgery before you wake up, the surgeon's going to take your shoulder or your knee or whatever they did surgery on through a, a range of motion and stress what they fix so they can see you know, how stable it is, how, how protective do we need to be on the recovery side of things. So uh, the recovery will vary patient to patient, but uh, follow the therapy. This is kind of a boring recovery. I'll just, I'll just throw that out in my experience talking to patients. It's boring because the patient typically is a young, aggressive, athletic person who wants to get back out to that lifestyle, and we're going to tie you down for a period of time. So hang in there. It's worth it. You're going to tighten things up, and then you're going to stretch it out later. 
Uh, the analogy I use with patients all the time is, that, you know, it's like baking a cake. If you, you know, you mix up the batter, you put the batter in the pan, you have the oven preheated. That's kind of the surgical procedure. That's kind of the, you know, necessary, but, you know, that's sort of the work's done. Uh, so it's easy to understand why you can't be too aggressive and, and too active right out of the gates there. But now that cake's been in the oven for 15 or 20 minutes. In your case, it's going to be two or three months. And man, the kitchen smells good. You want to you want to open the door, pull the cake out, slap some icing on that thing and eat it, right? At least I do. That's my problem. Um, you can't do it, right? The cake's not done. You got to go through the process of baking the cake, let it do its thing, and then take it out, let it cool. You know, you don't want to put the icing on when it's hot, let it cool. And then you can have your party, man. You can put the candles on, invite your friends and let's, let's have some fun. That's what happens three, four, five, six months after a shoulder uh, procedure uh, for instability. But if you open that door too soon on that cake, the whole thing falls apart. If you get too aggressive too soon on a shoulder dislocation recovery, sometimes, not always, but you run the risk of this thing becoming unstable or having those chronic instability episodes because you stretch things out that didn't have a chance to tighten or heal. So be patient with this. This is a tough one uh, to recover from, but it's well worth it. Same holds for for everybody else. It just comes to mind when you know, several patients who are in that young population want to push things. They want to come in and, and get aggressive from the day one. And we just can't do that in this case. So I hope that makes sense to you, Kyle. I hope that helped you understand the, the shoulder dislocation. You know, what happened, what was normal, what injured, what got injured, how we worked it up, and then your treatment options. If you have other questions, you know how to get a hold of me. Topics at h2orthopedics.com is our email address. That's how Kyle got a hold of me. He can, he can reach out there again. You can go on to our website, h2orthopedics.com and fill out a form with questions, uh, questions that you have and give you some details and get in touch with you or we'll talk about it on air here in another episode. So Kyle, I wish you the best in recovery. Hang in there, buddy. You'll get there. And for the rest of you and you too, Kyle, in the meantime, until we talk again, do your best to stay active, stay healthy, and put a smile on someone else's face. Take care. That's the position where the rotator cuff is going to come off of. So it's going to be coming off the shoulder blade back. You know, the glenoid is part of the shoulder blade. So uh, the muscles attached on the far side of the shoulder blade are going to come off around the glenoid, but in that general area over the top from, from say, 9 o'clock over the top to 3 o'clock. That's the rotator cuff. And they're going to attach to the humeral head or the ball side. Again, if you go back and listen to the rotator cuff injury, you'll learn about the tuberosities or these bumps on the bone where the four rotator cuff tendons attach. Hey, it's Mike here. I hope this episode is helping you out and answering some questions. If I'm not hitting every topic right on for you, if there's something specific that you have about your injury, or you want to discuss unique findings on the exam or your history, your MRI, your x-rays, whatever it might be, head to our website at h2orthopedics.com and scroll to the bottom for an opportunity to sign up for a virtual visit where we can either have a Zoom call, we can do a telephone call, whatever it might be, and we can discuss the specifics of your injury in more detail and hopefully get the answers you're looking for. Again, that's h2orthopedics.com. Scroll to the bottom for the virtual visit, and I will talk to you next.